News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC, the New Yorker's podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, the city. I'm Katie Honan here with Christina Greer and Harry Siegel. And joining us in just a moment will be New York City public advocate Jimani Williams, who ran in the Democratic primary earlier this year against Governor Kathy Hochul in what proved to be a less competitive rematch of his very competitive 2018 run against her for lieutenant governor. Hochul then hung on in this year's general election against Lee Zeldin, who came up predictably short, but ran easily the most competitive insurgent campaign by a Republican in the state so far in the 21st century, leading to calls for Hochul to replace Jay Jacobs, the chair of the state Democratic Party, and some on the left blaming Mayor Eric Adams, who campaigned for Hochul, for feeding into Zeldin's Fear City appeal. We'll get to all that, but first, a special message. FAQ NYC is now part of The City, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to serving the people of New York. Our hard-hitting local news is powered by listeners and readers like you. Now through the end of the year, every dollar you donate to The City will be doubled. Head to thecity.nyc slash give to donate today. Thecity.nyc slash give. Public advocate Jumani Williams, welcome back to the pod, and let's jump right in. We were texting a bit earlier this week, and I'm hoping you can share with listeners your perspective on three things. One, how this race turned out for Democrats, including with voter turnout plummeting compared to 2018. Two, why Republicans seem to do pretty well with a public safety-oriented message in this overwhelmingly Democratic, if not always overwhelmingly liberal state. And three, why conservative Democrats, like Kathy Hochul, who you ran against and who held on in November, and uh, Sean Patrick Maloney, who did not hold on in November, won their primaries relatively easily if, as many on the left are arguing now, they weren't offering what voters wanted. Well, you know, thank you for that. We did. We were texting uh, back and forth. And I think it's uh, everyone knows now, uh, you know, the, the New York likely cost uh uh, the Democrats in the nation, the House, and the New York State is supposed to be reliable, uh, the boon that keeps giving, and instead it became an albatross. Um, and I do think there are reasons for that. I think some of it is, is uh, you know, can be pushed to, to Democrats across the nation, but particularly here in New York State, we saw it uh, acutely. One, there were some issues with redistricting. We just have to be 100% clear about that. So I think it, it starts from there. But even past that, uh, Democrats have never been, uh, at least for a few cycles now, uh, very good at talking about economics and particularly crime. Uh, it's just been just bad. And so, unfortunately, it often swings from either ignoring it uh, to adopting conservative talking points. And what we've learned is Republicans are better at their own talking points. Uh, and so if you're running Republican light uh, against a real Republican, I think the Republicans are going to win. And we saw that happen here in New York State time and time again. And if that didn't happen, we saw something like in the governor's race. There's no way in a blue state could the governor's race be that uh, low of a margin against someone uh, like Lee Zeldin, who was openly supporting uh, the viewpoints of Donald Trump. Uh, and it was just unfortunate to see happen. Uh, but during the primary, uh, you know, the party I belong to, Party unity means toe the line. Uh, and so if you don't toe the line, 
Um, they do everything to push back against people who are uh, voicing other types of opinions, particularly opinions <clears throat> that are saying, look, we have to change the way we're doing this. And, and very often Democrats, I think, are trying to replace uh, their elite with other elites. And that doesn't really help the masses of people uh, who are looking to be helped in those two areas that folks just have not been able to communicate well or, or don't want to. Is the Democratic Party part of the issue here and its leadership and uh, Jay Jacobs in particular? Democratic Democrats are a huge part of the problem. I don't want to I don't want to mince words. Um, it happens to be uh, the party I belong to. And I don't want people to jump out of the frying pan into the fire. But we have to be clear about what's happening here. Yes, Democratic leadership, all of it was problematic. That includes the race that the governor ran, which I think everyone can clearly show was really bad. Uh, I think the the notion of I just need to get elected regardless uh, runs across the board, which is unfortunate. But what we saw here uh, was a, a very anemic gubernatorial campaign that literally cost people down ballot. It just did uh, from congressional races uh, to uh, assembly members to frontiers, Peter Abadi. Um, it just cost people because there was just no real effort down ballot. And that's that's across the board of the, the official Democratic apparatus. And what we saw is, uh, you know, we, we lost. We, and, you know, the only red wave that I saw in the nation uh, was here in New York State. And I will have to point out there were other places across the country where the quote unquote, I always say this, you know, I don't even know what progressive is anymore, but the quote unquote progressive candidate actually won uh, in places that were uh, formerly red. Uh, and so that is, to me, says that messaging can work if we want to adopt it. Uh, but very often, Democrats don't. And here in New York State, uh, that was especially true. Uh, and, you know, the government spent, uh, when I ran, uh, you know, I had some some other issues. And I praise God, I think I won anyway, uh, based on the other issues that I had. Uh, but, you know, I was only able to raise $570,000. I believe she spent about $28 million. Um, And that has a large effect. By her own words, because she says it's been so close because Lee Zeldin spent $20 million against her in, in the last few weeks. So we know that money uh, has a huge impact in people getting their message out. Uh, and of course, it's not the only thing, uh, but it is a big thing. And if your message is not responding to what people uh, want to hear, uh, and this leads me to my, my you know tirade about crime, you have to be safe and actually feel safe. And you can't ignore any one of those things. Uh, if you do, um, you run the risk of uh, feeling it at the uh, ballot box. And that's what happened. And the two responses that I've seen of ignoring it uh, or using talk, Republican talking points uh, don't help. So do you want to do you want to give us this tirade about crime and, and give your thoughts on whether or not Mayor Eric Adams, Democrat, former Republican, uh, played into uh, Lee Zeldin's fear of the city message, as some people have claimed, uh, as even as he was campaigning for Oakland? Uh, you know, just back to your other question, just to be clear, uh, I think Jay Jacobs has to go beyond past time uh, that we change leadership. Uh, it's just been, you know, it's beyond time. So I want to, I want to make a, I put a, uh, a point on the end of that, uh, that part mm -hmm. of the conversation. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't usually talk like this, and I think I was saying the same thing to you, but I don't know any other Democrat uh, in general, or particularly on the left, that has talk, been talking as consistently. Uh, and as long as I've been talking about crime, and quite frankly, I think I've had some effective talk. 
And I've said to folks, even if you don't want to rock out with me for one reason or another, just do the talking points because they work. I've been saying you can't, you know, data means nothing to a person who is a victim of crime. Absolutely nothing. Uh, and so you have to be able to have a conversation about that person who has been a victim of crime or see the media actually, that's a whole other conversation, the amount of time people in the media is reporting on crime versus where it actually is. But nonetheless, <clears throat> you can't tell people they're not feeling what they're feeling. Uh, and you have to be able to have a conversation in context of where crime actually is while saying, here's the plan that we're going to do to make sure you feel safe, to make sure that you are safe. And I don't think that ever came about. Uh, we, we spent more time uh, telling people how to express themselves in the street instead of actually putting forth a plan that can address the issues they were bringing up and the people who were concerned. Uh, and they're very real concerns. And it's, just, it's not rocket science. I think people are just afraid. They're, they're so worried. Like they, the only thing that matters is how to win this election. And people suffer. And we see that on the worst in the Republican Party when it comes to gun violence and not able to get anything done in Congress. And you see it in the Democratic Party. And that played out here, I think, in New York State. And I think um, there are there are uh, the issues of bail and and uh, I don't want to use the word hyping, but going above and beyond where crime actually is now uh, to score some points was harmful. Uh, and the mayor is wasn't the only one, uh, but he had raised some issues that I think um, didn't help. Now, I will say there are other parts of his message that don't get the same attention. And I think those parts are helpful. Uh, but nonetheless, the, I'm clear on the parts that I disagree on and have been clear about that. And I do not think that those were helpful uh, during this election. Fight. So, uh, public advocate, I want to stick with with the mayor, just because, you know, during this election cycle, some people were like, you know, this man's a Republican. So, you know, obviously he's spouting Republican talking points. But just moving forward, you know, we got to play the cards that we have. Where do you see your role as public advocate working with Eric Adams these next few years? We've got a mayor election that will be here before we know it. We've got 2024, where New York, because it's been gerrymandered, can't afford to lose any more seats and, and affect the rest of the country. So what's your plan to work with the mayor, not just in messaging, but actually in in reality, to make sure that we either assuage some of these fears that may or may not be real, and also, as you noted, communities that actually do suffer from disproportionate rates of crime at, of all levels? I am. Um... You know, I've always viewed the position of public advocate not to be uh, against or for, uh, and uh, that that's playing out the same way in my mind as it did with the previous mayor. If there, if we're moving forward on projects and programs uh, that I believe are helpful to the city of New York, I want to help that go through. If we're not, then I have to point that out. Uh, you know, and the, there's messaging that I believe uh, the mayor does agree with me on and and i want to help that move forward I don't, it doesn't sometimes doesn't get as much play uh but also i don't know that i see the earnest funding and structural uh, decisions that need to be made to get it across the finish line and that's really important uh that we just don't say what we're going to do we actually do it um in a very uh concerted effort and i think that's on the city by the way state and federal level we have a lot of folks in positions now that can put their heads together and really get some things done. Uh, I did go to the mayor's summit on public safety, and I found it actually very productive. Uh, I think it should have happened much earlier in 
uh, in this year. It didn't, and we're here now. My hope is that uh, following up from that conversation, we can see some of the productivity and conversation moving to action. We just put out a report on mental health and some of the shortcomings that have come uh, is from the uh, de Blasio administration uh, that are seeing its way into this administration and hoping that move of the conversation moves the needle a lot and, and, and begins to frame public safety in a different way. I do think the continued focus on things like bail um, distracted from actually focusing on the things uh, that will actually uh, help people be safe. Uh, and that's why the frustrating part for me is when we're talking about things that are not backed up by the numbers, that are not backed up uh, by what the reality is. And I know, Harry, you, you even pushed to, you know, some of the discretionary uh, needs of judges. But the only thing I, was, I would say is that <clears throat> I believe we're the only state that doesn't have it. But there are many other states that are more violent and are having more crime. And so I'm not sure that that is what the answer should be. At the same time, as I said before, the fact that New York City is actually safer than most of the cities out there doesn't mean anything to uh, people who are witnessing or feeling the brunt of crime. So what we have to be able to say is, look, this is not the answer, but here is what the answer is. And people are actually ready to hear a multifaceted approach to crime. We're seeing that even when you poll folks, uh, the city did its own poll on what people want to do in terms of public safety. The mentioning of police was third. Uh, housing and mental health beat it out. But people are ready for it if we just lean into it. Republicans lean into their crazy messaging rooted in hate, uh, rooted in uh, oppressive policies. But Democrats don't lean into uh, the policies they supposedly think are the answer. And that's a part of the problem. And that definitely was part of the problem here in New York State. Public advocate, I have two questions, but the first is sort of, it came to me when you mentioned mental health, and I don't want to beat too much on the previous administration because that's in the past, but Mayor de Blasio had made mental health and the infamous Thrive program, which received so much scrutiny and media coverage, such a core part of his two terms as mayor, but there are still a lot of challenges with the mental health system and, and, and helping people and people who, you know, you see a lot of the crimes committed in the city. It's clear that mental health plays a large role in the whole thing. So do you want to just briefly discuss what, what you discovered in terms of, or not discovered, but in the report that you released on those failings? And I guess what are the biggest concerns when it comes to mental health services here in New York City and how that plays out into crime? Um, first of all, you know, I want to make it clear that most folks who have mental health um, concerns or uh, acute mental health issues. I think all of us need a mental health check-in. So the one thing we need to do is start talking about it the same way we talk about physical health and dental health. You just need to check in uh, once in a while. But there are folks who have uh, diagnosed mental health issues. The vast majority of them are not violent and will not commit crimes. And I would say, I think, I don't know that most crimes uh, are with people with mental health issues. I think uh, the big ones that make the media a lot of times uh, have uh, folks who are dealing with uh, mental health crisis. So I'm going to make that distinction. Uh, listen, I have to say the one thing that the former administration did was elevate the discussion. And so I'm happy that uh, helped elevate the discussion about mental health and the challenges that are going on. Honestly, the rest of it was failure. Um, and there was a lot of wasted money in collaborating. And we put forth uh, our first report in that administration. And I don't think a lot of it was taken up. Uh, we got pushback every place we went. Uh, including trying to get a separate number so people can call a uh, a number to get a non-criminal, uh, non-police response mm. instead of 911. 
we got tremendous pushback on that. And uh, the, the federal government now has a 988 number uh, for suicide, uh, but the New York City infrastructure does not work well with that uh, system. And so that's one place where we have to change. This administration has seen some forward movement in some places, uh, but unfortunately, actually, we're beginning to see some backward movements, uh, even setting up places like arrest centers in 2019. I believe we have eight, and uh, now we have four. So it's been half. Uh, we also don't have that uh, separate uh, number that's easily remember, uh, mem memorized for people to call uh, when they're in uh, uh, crisis or they see someone who's in crisis. Uh, the framework is still a law enforcement framework. And we have to decouple that. And so we have to say, let's get a non-police response. If that non-police response decides uh, that they need uh, law enforcement, then we should call law enforcement. I always say law enforcement has a role to play, but they can't be the default for everything. Uh, and believe it or not, the officers themselves don't want to be uh, answering many of these calls. And so if you want to support our, our men and women in law enforcement, one of the things that you can do is stop asking them to do everything especially when they don't have the tools to address it. And if they use the tools they have, they will get in trouble. Uh, and so we put out a, uh, as well as they should, uh, we did put out a roadmap of things that we think can happen, including building up more urgent cares, uh, getting more respite centers, uh, getting a, a, a separate number that people can call and removing police from the initial response, you know, even to be heard, uh, which people speak about. One, it's being cut, which is bad. And two, even in that model, we found that 80% or more are still being answered initially by police. That is a problem. Uh, and we can lead here uh, if we have the political will and the ability to just lean in because we actually know it works. Uh, I think it's scary for folks. But what's scary now is the, what's, um, what's happening right now for me. You have two choices if you don't have access to continual care, mm -hmm. being in the street, being Rikers Island. And that doesn't work. Can you imagine? If we had uh, the infrastructure, uh, uh, what we have for mental health, if we have for physical health, we'd be all crying bloody murder. And we should be uh, because we need the infrastructure for mental health uh, the same way. So the city just cut 12 million, I believe, from the Be Heard program, right? Which is when you're sending mental health professionals first rather than police to certain calls. Um, that's a drop in the bucket of the New York City budget. You know, Thrive was the billion dollar thing, and that was not money, even if it maybe elevated the conversation, that, that, that was largely, I think, well spent. Um, the solutions that folks like yourself are talking about to be seriously implemented citywide and on scale are really expensive. Like supportive housing is really expensive. Figuring out like a safe and orderly way to consistently, not just some of them and in pilot programs, have medical professionals who are not armed respond to these calls and feel safe doing it and all that. Really expensive. These are, in my view, really good and important solutions. But in any short-term cycle, it's what's happening now? Why does my train feel scary? Why are there so many people like like looking like corpses on the street in Midtown? Uh, somebody should do something about this now. And so the question at the moment, but always, is how do you bridge that gap? How should Democrats be communicating specifically and affirmatively that they have a long-term message that is going to produce short-term positive results? So, so, so you said bail reform is a distraction. I'm, I'm inclined to agree. But if crime is going up 
people who are victims don't care about statistics and it's, Hey, we did this bail reform thing. Crime is going up. I'm going to force them to fix that. I'm going to fire Alvin Bragg, all that stuff. That might be a nasty message, but it's a clear one. What is Demo- What should Democrats' clear message be about how their more thoughtful and serious solutions are producing results now, and what policies have to change to make that work, including money? You know, uh, one I do want to make mention, even with the Be Heard, what it was supposed to be hasn't even turned out yet because um, it, it turned out police were still responding to about eighty percent of those. So that's unfortunate. Uh, the answer wasn't to cut it, though. The answer was to really change it to the model that, that it needed to be. Um, one, I'm happy that the fire Al Bragg uh, mantra didn't work. Um, so I want to just make sure we, we point that out, um, that uh, that messaging, thankfully, didn't work. Unfortunately, there was a lot of folks suffered uh, because of it and because of our lack of response. You know, I think part of it is one, stop telling people how they feel. Right, people are, are feeling. You know, um, my my uh, 14-year-old rides the the subway system uh, almost daily. Uh, my wife rides it frequently, and sometimes bringing my newborn on there. And so I have the same concerns uh, of New Yorkers. And so we have to stop telling them that you know you you shouldn't feel concerned, you shouldn't feel this way. We have to speak to people where they are and what they are feeling. And when you don't do that, they become very susceptible to the type of fear mongering. Uh, that we hear from the Republican side. And what I know is from my own discussions about public safety is when you're able to sit down and tell people and have a conversation about the plan that you have, they are very receptive. People actually inherently know and understand sometimes what they're seeing are people who need mental health assistance, not Rikers Island. And so if you have an administration comes in and says, you know, here is my four, six, eight month plan Let's walk through this journey together. Here's where we're going to put funding for the things that need to be funding. Here's where we're going to uh, change the policy. And we're going to get to the point where we get to. I think people will walk with you on that journey. But if you if you come in and say, we're going to have this fixed in four weeks, um, then it's a different kind of mess and a, different, and a different problem. And I think that begins even when people are campaigning, uh, when people are talking about the issues, and crime is one of them. Uh, obviously, I wasn't successful in uh, the primary just passed, but I believe I've been fairly successful in some other races, um, including the same one where the mayor was elected. And there were a lot of folks uh, who were elected um, speaking about the issues the way I speak about it as well. Um, and it works. And so we don't have to adopt uh, the Republican-like talking points. And, you know, as you mentioned, it does cost money, but the law enforcement and cultural uh, side costs a lot of money. It's just easy and people are used to it. And so people, you know, sometimes it's homelessness. Uh, I don't, uh, you know, I just don't want to see it. It's different than I actually want to fix it. Um, so and you could do the same thing with people who need a mental health assistance, uh, you know, the street or Rikers. And now you have a, a, another struggle in Rikers Island itself. And so sometimes you see that push and pull about what we need to do and why. But you have to have that push and pull, and you have to have leaders who are going to be bold enough, courageous enough to to move it through. And uh, it's a difficult conversation. Having been in the crux of it for uh, over a decade, I know it's difficult. But relenting is not helpful because it gets us to where we are right now, uh, and we see the, the, the cost of it at the ballot box.
<clears throat> I, I got just one more, and then uh, I think Chris and Katie may have a couple others. You, you you decided not to to run in that mayor's race. Maya Wiley, who was I think the the candidate who was closest to the set of positions you were just laying out, actually finished third. Um, not not second, third, close third. Um, you just ran, and I think life circumstances and money played a significant role in that, but against Kathy Hochul and had a chance to to try to put some of this out. And speaking strictly to Democrats and in a primary, th this didn't break through. I know it has in a lot of district-wide races in your own citywide election uh, and, and, and so on, but I, I'm hoping you can speak a little to why that is and what might need to change with the Democratic Party in terms of how it's structured, in terms of how it communicates with voters, which in my view, it doesn't really do at the moment. It's just basically a ballot line and so on. And what politicians like yourself might do to, to help this break through the rest of the way, because at the moment, this seems like a message that can work in, in smaller primaries, but is not a uh, reach the, uh, the broader electorate in full in New York City, let alone New York State. You know, I'm convinced that uh, that messaging can and will eventually work across the state. Uh, we just have to have, uh, one, a party that doesn't actively fight it every every single time it can. And so they spend primaries fighting and demonizing that message and then say, oh, look, it doesn't work. Well, you spent the whole cycle putting as much money against it and demonizing as much as possible, putting your thumb on the scale as much as possible. And even when it doesn't work in the case of Indian Walls, India Walls and in Buffalo, you don't support it. And so you can't say all of those things and then say it doesn't work. I've run twice statewide. Uh, obviously I didn't win. The first time I got a much closer on, on the same message. Um, I, I generally uh, can't either, I generally don't raise as much money, but I usually can campaign a lot more. Uh, than I was able to uh, this uh, past uh, year. And I uh, thank God, my, my just FYI, thank God and my wife is cancer-free and baby besides having a cold right now is doing very well. And so uh, I couldn't have asked for anything better uh, during this last year. Uh, but, you know, unable to campaign as hard as I, I may have and not raise money, it's going to be di very difficult. But, you know, we still came second, <laughs> you know, against someone who raised $28 million and $10 million uh, respectively. So the messaging is effective. Uh, imagine if if you had twenty eight million dollars uh, to spend on that type of messaging. Yeah. Um, what would occur? But you can't spend twenty eight million dollars against it and then not replace it with anything. And if you replace it with anything, it's Republican light talking point. So I believe that New York State is ready for that if we have leadership that would embrace it. You know, folks who are quote unquote progressive, quote unquote the left. I don't you know what that means necessarily. I, I guess I'm, I'm on that side. They're not the enemy. As a matter of fact, in New York State, they saved the day. WFP came in uh, uh, and, and, and hardcore decided that they're going to save this governor's race and really save this state from flipping blue. But those are the same folks uh, who the party consistently, constantly is pushing back again. Uh, we have to decide that they're not the enemy. We're not the enemy. And our issues are actually winnable. And guess what? They energize the base. That's why after every uh, primary, we say, well, let's unify. You got to come energize the base. Well, <laughs> don't pick candidates that don't energize the base and then come to the folks that do after you've done uh, so much demonizing the folks. And because what, what I do know is we have to be more than we're not Trump, we're not Republican. That's not enough of a branding, in my opinion. It's not enough of a plan. You have to lay something out. And we have 
a lot of good ideas. We really do. Uh, but there is a, the same way there is a political elite in the Republican Party is one in the Democratic Party. And I don't think they want to change it. Uh, but, you know, I think the ballot box is changing uh, some of it. Uh, my, my hope generally is that party unity will stop meaning just toe the line. And party unity will mean, uh, let's all get together. Let's get in a room. Because from my conversation with people who are supposedly on the other side of the, uh, the equation, we agree on most things. And so when we say Democrats are moderate, I'm like, what, what are you moderating on? Are you moderating on equity, <laughs> uh, on reproductive rights? Like, where is the moderation? Um, we, should, we should lean into what we believe. And I think voters respond to people leaning into what they believe. And we see that happening with the Republican Party. Public advocate, just one final question, and it kind of circles back to the start of this conversation. And it also looks ahead to the next elections we have, which is the city council, because of the redistricting, you know, they're running again. Um, one thing, you know, I spoke to many incumbent council members who's in, in, in various parts of the city who say, look, there's a real chance, and I hate the wave terms, blue or red, but sure, we saw victories for the governor. There were some losses in Southern Brooklyn, and, and, and they're sort of looking ahead to see that there's a real shot that Republicans could maybe take a few more, one more, who knows, I'm speculating seats in the council. What do you think the Democratic Party needs to do to ensure that that doesn't happen? And I mean, do you think that sort of is this lingering um, shift in people's voting behaviors and who they're who they're in who who they see themselves in in parts of the city that maybe for years um had been taken for granted as democratic neighborhoods. Well, one, Southern Brooklyn exists. So you should remember that. Um and they actually do need uh resources. They do need yeah. some assistance. They were all but ignored by the official democratic apparatus. They were left to fend for themselves. And uh when you have a, a win like uh by like Ewan Chu shout out first uh, Asian-American uh, woman uh, to be in the state Senate. Uh, that was done uh, despite little or no effort by the official Democratic apparatus, period. Uh, and that was a bright spot in a, a red, gloomy day <laughs> over there. Um, so you have to pay attention to that. And you have to pay attention to, to it before election, right? You, right now, we should be on the ground uh, building the structures, uh, supporting the groups that are organizing there. Right now, there should be conversations with the groups that help get even elected. What did you do? What did you need? How do we build mm-hmm. on that? Um, I'm not sure that kind of soul searching is happening yet. We, we see the defense of people like Jay Jacobs. And that should be a gimme so we can move past it. But still, we got to spend energy on, on the gimmies, which uh, I don't think are helpful. Um, and two, again, we have to you know, lean into our messaging and we have to address what people are concerned about. I always use defund the police as a perfect example. Stop letting other people frame the conversation. We allowed the Republican Party to frame defund the police, and everything we did was respond to a false claim. As much as I'm associated with it and I'm okay, you've never heard me use that phrase because I thought then it was probably was not the best phrase. But I said my job as an elected leader is not to argue with people who are in pain in the street trying to express themselves. My job is to take that pain, turn it into policy and get it passed. Why are we spending so much time responding to a framework that was wrong to begin with? If you speak to people, they will understand the need to make sure that something like uh, the Department of Mental Health and Hygiene has funding. And if you say to them, listen, you know that NYPD has um, unlimited access to overtime. 
the Department of Mental Health and Hygiene has no access to it. They'll understand that conversation. So just talk about that and speak about what you want done. But instead, you want to get into the streets fighting about trying to force people to change their phrasing. And that's not helpful. And so I think the people who are going to run in uh, the uh, the southern parts of Brooklyn uh, need some help by the official apparatus. And the party itself should work on uh, leaning into this messaging and framing its messaging so that we can share that with people so that we can respond to it in an affirmative way, not always in a defensive way. And that we seem to always be on defense when it comes to crime and economics. And, you know, also, none of these, None of these areas are monolith. Yeah. And so we always have to remember that as well. Mm-hmm. Public advocate, thank you for yeah. rejoining FAQ. I believe you are, are, are have been on the air more often than any other guest since we started this pod. <laughs> we, we really oh, appreciate I'm it. That. I'm proud of that. We do appreciate you. Awesome. you. Yeah. Top guest award. Awesome uh, I'll take it. <laughs> Ooh, that's an idea, Katie. Yeah. Yeah. Start giving out our own podcast okay. award. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I talk that's about one way to win them. Talk about the real stuff here. So I, I want to be with. <laughs> I want to be where the real is talked about. <laughs> we try. So I, I do want to ask what, what, what one difficult thing, and, and this this is about being on the defensive. Um, just because you know, I read the papers every morning, even the Post, and they have been like every third story about you is is as they have it. One thing, and, and this headline is actually from Newsweek, but New York governor candidate who wants to defund police also lives on, on U.S. Army base. And that's obviously that whole framing is an attempt to put you on the defensive. Uh, but but I did just want to ask you uh, uh, about that and if that's a fair thing, you think, for, for, for these places to report and frame that way and what that's about. Well, one is absolutely fair to discuss where I live, how it impacts uh, policy. That's absolutely fair. The framing, however, is disingenuous. So, right. uh, but you know, people will do what they do. I mean, it, it'll be better if my policies have changed somehow, but they've been the same <laughs> for the for the past decade. Uh, two, uh, I made a decision with my wife about where we're going to live. I I don't regret it or or think twice about it. Uh, it's a place that anyone can apply to uh, and live on. It's a place I didn't even know existed uh, until I was going from a bachelor uh, to a family. And she had a, a friend who was a broker. And I was like, wow, this is great. Uh, trying to find uh, a space uh, was very difficult in this market. And what we got here versus somewhere else was just remarkable. So we weren't, we weren't looking for it. And second, the, the notion that I will make a decision that's bad for my wife, my daughter, my sister, my mom, my cousins, my friends, or the rest of New Yorkers based on where I live is, you know, absurd. So I, I always, it, it's humorous to me. Uh, but I do know that we're in a space where people will do um, are talking to people's emotions and our emotions are overriding our rational discussion. And uh, we have to bring back the rational discussion uh, while it not ignoring the emotions because, you know, both are really real. But, you know, I'm very proud of uh, my family, uh, where we live uh, in New York City. I'm born and bred, uh, Brooklyn to be exact, except the first two days of born in Manhattan. They quickly brought me back to Brooklyn. To <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, um, the, my policies have been very consistent, uh, and I'm in the world like everyone. I mean, this is, I think the other thing is he's driven around 24 hours a day, chauffeured. That's, that's also not true. Uh, like a citywide, I have uh, some of the things that citywide do, but I'm often out by myself. Um, yes, I still drive. I'm a driver. I ride my bicycle. Um, so this, it's, a, it's not a legitimate framework. I understand why people do it. Um, it's just, you know, it doesn't help the conversation. But I, it is a fair question to ask. 
I, I've been to Fort Hamilton a bunch of times. It's nice. Do they still have yeah, a Burger King? Do they still have a Burger King over there? Uh, they do. Uh, yeah. There's not everything on everything on the basically actually do not have access to, and rightfully so, I believe. Uh, Burger King is one of the things that we do. Uh, but you so can't go to the just, like the supermarket or the the exchange no, over there. No, no, we can't. We can't do that. And, and you know that makes sense. You know, it's uh, people who are uh, who are a pledge to the country. But uh, you know, I think folks believe there was some kind of special treatment or somehow it worked. You should come apply <laughs> like we did, and and we got it. And that that's that's about it. That's the, that's the extent the be all and end all of it. And again. You know, my family, me are, are out there just like everybody else very frequently. And I have the same concerns. And I would not make decisions that I think would harm them. It just doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Great. So now are we going to say <laughs> you have a wonderful holiday with your beautiful family? <laughs> and my favorite in the family, I mean, I have so many favorites in your family, but please give a special hug to your mother. I will. <laughs> who keeps it will. 100 at all times. <laughs> FAQ. A reminder that FAQ NYC is now part of the city, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. From now through the end of the year, every dollar you donate to the city will be doubled. And you can do that by going to thecity.nyc slash give today. That's thecity.nyc slash give. FAQ NYC is headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research, and we're a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists, online at popula.com. Our hosts this episode were me, Christina Greer, Katie Honan, and Harry Siegel, who's also our executive producer. Our engineer is Adam Kamara. And a special thank you to our guest, public advocate Jamani Williams. And thank you, listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be well, be warm, and we'll be back soon. Have a great holiday. <laughs>